Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thanks for joining me on another episode of Strategy Mob. <laughs> Today, I am interviewing two amazing guests. I'm super excited to actually talk to both these gentlemen. Mr. Fareed Ahmed. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> and then Cam A. Rom. I nailed that one too, didn't I? You did. You nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. I, I'm just going to warm it up. I know my jokes suck here. Okay, fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, guys, for everybody out there that's listening and watching to us right now and, you know, don't know kind of your guys' origin story or how you kind of got started in the automotive industry, if we can kind of start off with a couple background stories, that'd be super cool. Uh, Farid, I'm going ahead and start with you. How did you get started into this crazy little industry we call the automotive industry? Okay. Well, thanks, Jason. First off, I was born at a very young age. I must point that out before we get started. Um, as you can tell from my accent, um, it's very British. I actually started my automotive career in the United Kingdom back in 1983. I'm showing my age now. Uh, worked in sales and F&I, worked for their operations in Chicago. While in Chicago, I visited family in Toronto, fell in love with Toronto, and emigrated here in 1991. Started in the retail business. Uh, while I was in the retail business running a store here in Ontario, I went through the NADA Dealers Academy and graduated through that as a dealer candidate. And then uh, came back, got married, uh, and I actually started a recruitment business. So I started becoming a headhunter for the automotive industry. And I did that from 1995. Um, and I still have a recruitment agency to this date. Um, but during the, my process of headhunting, dealers, very good friends of mine, started asking me about, do I know if this dealership's for sale or if this dealership's available? So one thing led to another, and I started getting into the mergers and acquisition in 2012. And today um, we have uh, North American-wide, about 35 members of our team. We sell about 40 dealerships a year. We've done 200 and 15 transactions since 2012. And we currently have 45 dealerships, 47 dealerships for sale across North America. That's a bit about me. That's awesome. Now, as far as buy and sells go right now, is is it still kind of business as usual or is there quite a bit of difference? You know, is everyone quiet right now? I guess that's yeah. my question. Jason, I think if, if you had asked me before the coronavirus, would I expect to be busy? I always said no. I mean, it's going to shut it down. I can't tell. I've been jammed. Uh, my team's been jammed. Um, lots of inquiries. Uh, um, we've actually closed on four dealerships during this transaction. We've sold seven during the coronavirus. So it's active. Um, I anticipate coming out of coronavirus to be very busy. Um so yeah, it's been it's been surprisingly busy. That's always that's always good to hear. And I imagine with with the additional amount of time on people's hands right now is they can focus on kind of that buy sell, you know, and not have to worry about the day-to-day -day operations exact same time. Yeah. 
That makes a sense. lot of people are, you know, and I'm sure you're going to get into it, Jason, but a lot of people are looking at reevaluating their assets, mm-hmm. deciding which assets to keep, which, uh, which assets should they be acquiring. So I think this has given dealers a time to step back um, uh, and just look at their overall entities. Some are thinking, well, this is the time to get off. And some people figured this is a great opportunity to steal some businesses from dealers that are suffering. So that, that's the two ends of the spectrum, right? That is a pretty broad spectrum, but no, that does make sense. I mean, every market has, you know, kind of both a bull and a bear in it, right? Yes, very uh, true. Hey, very hey true. Cam, your turn. You're up, man. For everybody out there watching, listening right now, and don't know that crazy origin story that is Cam Abram. What is that origin first, story? <laughs> first of all, Jason, thanks for uh, putting this podcast together and thanks for having me. It's always great to join your show. Every time I've done it, it's been a blast. Um, so for those of you that don't know me, I started back in 2004. Um, I had a custom wheel shop right out of university. That's what I started. And it was a grind to get customers and get sales. It was truly a grind. And it came to the point that I thought this is not the right direction for me. This is going to go south real quick. And I needed money. So I wanted to sell my own car. I went to a friend of mine who was a, who owned the dealership at the time. And I said, hey, man, things are rough. I need to sell my car. He says, all right, no problem. Leave it here. Sign here. And I'll, uh, I'll call you when it's sold. Two days, this was a Wednesday. He called me on Friday. He says, come get your check. Your car is sold. And I said, that's it? That quick? He didn't negotiate on my price. He gave me what I wanted. And um, then I said, hey, things are good. Are you looking to, can I sell cars? He's like, sure, sell cars. So I started selling cars in the used car lot. Uh, I started in July of 2005. And um, he actually had a son who's older than me. And he used to work at a GM store in 2009. Um, he came to the store and he would always make fun of us because we were a smaller car lot. And um, he says, man, um, I need to I need to work here. And I said, what happened? You, you know, working in the GM store. And he says, man, I don't like those guys. Those guys, you know, they're just always bossing you around. And this is not going to work for me. Screw this. So the next day after working with me for the first time after because I've been working for his dad for four years, he says, man, if you want to be in this industry, you got to go to a new car lot. So the very next day. I had a, on, on my vehicle driving it with a demo plate. I drove to the GM store, talked to the guy who fired him, and I, I got a job and I started working there. So I started working, <laughs> literally. So I worked there until 2012 and I got into a Chrysler store um, as a service manager. And so I saw a different side of the business at a new car lot. And I started really understanding the process. Um, from there, I got into subprime. And I did that for two years. And from there, I really had a full understanding of the business from the used uh, car lot side, new car lot operations. And um, from there, since 2014, I have been going to different dealerships and uh, really providing a consultation for sales, service, and um, finance department. In the last three years, I've been working for 50 plus franchise dealerships in BC, Alberta, and Saskatchewan really trying to share and tweak their programs and processes from what I see from top performing dealerships. That's awesome. And I know your commitment to training and best practices <laughs> is always a big part of what you do. Uh, speaking of that, I imagine your current norm has to be 
a little different. I mean, you were like me. I mean, we were, were road warriors, right? We're on the road all the time, going from dealership to dealership. So let's start out with that camel for yourself. You know, what does that current norm look like for you right now? So I'm a Venus true salesperson. I'm very passionate about sales guys. And um, typically on a normal day, I'll go to different dealership and I'll work with uh, different sales guys. Right now, a lot of them have been laid off and they're not really working. So the norm has change uh, drastically first a uh, couple of weeks it was more so about what's going to happen where are we going to go what's the next stage a lot of people were just uh, sitting at home waiting for things to reopen and go back to normal and i think now that we are four to five to six weeks into this um uh, virus now people are just trying to understand okay well maybe we need to think about a new norm maybe there will be a new norm and uh, there are a couple of dealerships that uh, I'm right now, this week and past week, I've been working with. These are dealerships that they sell 200 plus vehicles per month. And right now, they're tra- one is tracking to do about 150, and the other is tracking to do 100 plus units for this month, which is amazing. Both of these guys, uh, these stores, they have drastically cut their advertising budgets just because the avenues that they were advertising has changed. Like, for example, um, a lot of people are, they don't want to touch newspaper. They're scared to touch their mail that they get in the mailbox. So those type of things have changed. And uh, I was looking at reports of the um, AM radio stations in the morning, and those ratings have gone up. They're getting more audience. So the campaigns and the spots that we ran there, they're doing better than they ever did before. And of course, uh, digital advertising and any strategy with digital advertising, those are as effective as I've ever been. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. And uh, for me, again, like you mentioned that, you know, I go to the stores and that's what I've been doing the last two, three weeks. Just really go and observe and what, see what the feel is on the front lines of the stores. And I have seen dealerships that they've changed their physical look of their door where before you have, you have to go and open the door to get in. Now those doors are not there anymore, and there are automa- automated sliding doors. But as soon as you approach it, it's contactless, and it opens and you go inside. And that makes you feel good. Like for me personally, even when I want to go shop, the first thing I do, I say, oh, man, how am I going to open that door? I'm going to wait till someone's coming out so I can just sneak right through. So I, I really think uh, the new norm has already arrived. And for those dealerships that uh, have not jumped on board to try to come up with newest strategies from start to finish, from how you present your dealership, from your branding, from you, how you, you uh, market your vehicles, you market your sales department, your service department, all that, everything that I think dealerships uh, need to rethink it, revise it. And the book hasn't been written yet, so there is no right or wrong. It's really what you think is going to work. And um, I'm, I'm excited, man. I've been as excited as ever. I haven't had this buzz in me in a very long time. So um, I look forward for the next, uh, at this time, I said, I look forward for the next 90 days. Yeah, no, I agree with uh, you. I think the next 90 days are going to be super interesting. I mean, right. And, And I love the fact that you said like, the book hasn't been written, you know, which I think is one of the best things about this time frame. I mean, like, let's, we can stay positive. I mean, there's enough podcasts out there and webinars that are focusing on the negative. We can stay positive for this yeah. one, you know, right? But, like, I, I do yeah. believe that there is a lot of opportunity here. You know, I keep calling it the new norm. I actually had someone challenge me the other day and actually go, Jason, it's not new, right? It's just, the, it's what it should have been evolved to for a very long time, you know? I mean, I the, the concept of 100% online purchase or 
or a, you know, a touchless delivery, that's not a new concept. Like this, like, I mean, there, no. Carvana has been doing this for years. I mean, when I ran a BDC 15 years ago, all right, like we, we drop ship Corvettes all over the country, sight unseen, you know, we drop ship them, people picked them up. So I, I think what it is, is, is now what we're actually doing is as an industry, we're going to be forced to actually, um, uh, do our sales efforts and our service efforts the way the customer wants to do it, not necessarily the way that we want to do that, which I think will fundamentally change the kind of the, the design of the dealership. Uh, Cam, you mentioned earlier, how many employees do you really need? You know, I That's mean, right. we've, we, you know, floors have been flooded. I mean, we've used that term for many years, right? Like we yeah. just need another body on the floor. Like, you know, we, yeah. you know, but now it's more focused on the process not necessarily just having all these additional hands and bodies. And I think it's going to fundamentally change things. I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on that, of kind of how you think that's going to change the, the look of the dealership. Fareed, I'm going to start with you on this. How do you think you know, all this changes the look of the dealership moving forward? You know, a lot of people have talked about that. And look, I don't think anybody has a crystal ball, number one. But I think I if I had to give you my best guess estimate, I think... Not that much is going to change, unfortunately. I do think that we're going through a, through a time where dealers are going to really rethink their digital strategy for sure. But, you know, old habits die, <laughs> die hard. And, and, I, and I worry if we're going to look at this in our rearview mirror in six months' time and get back to the same old good old way of doing business. I don't think we're out of business long enough for a dramatic change in the way we do business. Um, you know, there's all sort of speculation that we're going to be sort of realigning around May 15th towards the end of May. So. Um, I don't know if that's enough time to, to do a cultural change that the business could use, which is uh, learning how to be um, uh, more digital friendly. But my thoughts are from the dealers that I know, they're just waiting back to uh, get uh, dealer customers through the door, deliver the car, ring the bell, and away we go. No, I'm with, I'm with you on that. I think it, it may not be enough time. Now, the one thing I, I did notice, you know, going through the recession was, is, uh, boy, were OEMs, or at least a handful of OEMs were very well prepared for this. In fact, almost so prepared, I was like, did you have that sitting in your back pocket? Do, you know what I mean? Like, there was this message of empathy in that we're here for you within, like, like, like hours, it almost felt like. So I, I shouldn't, I, I can't disclose which manufacturers, but there's three manufacturers, four manufacturers that I know have got, have made a huge commitment to uh, supplying the vehicle themselves and doing the whole process electronically. And these are not Mickey Mouse manufacturers. These are some mainstream manufacturers. When they start getting into this field, that's the kind of action that's going to shift. You're going to see a dynamic shift, and it's coming. And I think it's going to be as early as this year, an, a major manufacturer is going to announce that they are going to retail cars. I agree with you. And that was some of the biggest changes we saw during the recession. It was not necessarily the dealerships that had huge changes, is that there were a lot of 
changes at the OEM level after the recession. Now, I have to say this real quick, and this is uh, what I love about doing podcasts. I get to say whatever the hell I want whenever I want to say it. Um, I love having British guests on here because you guys get to use terms like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. the, like, it's just like... It's not the first time I've had a British guest on here that's used the the term Mickey Mouse right. when when talking about something. Right. So you know, it's like the I best could, thing ever. <laughs> if I could add one thing to the, what I've said, you know, Tesla has been, in some respects, the envy of the automotive industry. Quite frankly, everybody was gambling that they never could do it, and they bucked the system. Um, and then uh, Hyundai Canada decided that they were going to have the Genesis model all direct manufacture to consumer. And that has been successful for, for Genesis. That has changed. Will this propel that? Um, I think so, but not. I don't think we're going to wake up tomorrow morning and who needs a dealership building anymore? It's, I don't, I think. There's too much desire, passion, and love for an individual to walk into a dealership after they've done the research on the internet, feel it, touch it, smell it, go through the nego. I enjoy it. I just bought a car a few months ago. I, I love the experience. I could have bought it online. Uh, and maybe I'm an old fogey, not like you young guys, whippersnappers. I mean, I'm 107 years of age, for crying out loud. But uh, uh, being the old school, I, I, and I think I speak for a lot of people, it's actually a pleasurable experience sometimes walking into a store, smelling that new car, beating on the salesman, knowing the sales manager is going to come and beat on you. It's fun. It's a fun. Person. No, I agree with you. I think there are people out there that do enjoy this. And and Cam, actually, I'm going to set you up for this next question here, um, because I, I think the one thing that will fundamentally change, if I just if is, I think moving forward, a lot of dealers are thinking right now: Can I continue to do what I'm doing with less? You know, I mean, and also from a customer's perspective, I mean, look, I, I know customers and even myself, I enjoy coming into the physical place, right? And I appreciate all the time, money and effort, and it takes to crafting out right. these big, beautiful buildings and these processes. But the fact that I have to deal with four different people, sometimes five, to make a purchase and I, I have to I have to connect with someone and then I gotta yeah. reconnect with somebody and then I gotta yeah. reconnect with another person and then another person. I'm like, does that, is that really needed, you know, from customer's perspective and then from an operations perspective, do we really need that many people to process a singular transaction? Cam, what what are your thoughts on that? It's very interesting that you say that. So and and Farid said, old habits die hard, and it's so true. So one of the things that the dealership that I'm sure we've all heard, if you wanted your store to sell 20, 200 cars a month, you would need 20 salespeople to produce 10 each, and that's your 200. I mean, if you have 12 guys on the floor and you're expecting to sell 200, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, you're, you're, you know, you're not on the right path. It's not going to work. But now in this era, that has completely changed. Um, one of the stores that I'm working with right now, they're sitting at 72 units. They have done that with four salespeople and one sales manager. This never happened a month and a half ago, but it's happening today. And one finance manager. So 
Um, the era is changing. Things are changing. I think a lot of the back and forth, like the five people process stuff that you got to go through, the salesperson, the sales manager, the finance manager, all that I think is going to be, um, it's going to, uh, you know, revolve. It's going to change. And uh, of course, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen at every scale, at every dealership in every town. But this is a this is going to be a major shock. I think this is going to really change things going forward. We're going to have new, um, it's going to be post-COVID-19 uh, processes. And we're going to have sales guys that are going to be coming to the industry right now that they will never know what the old way of selling cards was. Um, I'm lucky enough that I used to be around when we used to advertise a newspaper. That was huge. I remember Auto Trader guy used to come out even physically himself, take pictures and go make your ad and post it on newspaper. And when a customer came with a newspaper under their arm, if you were smart enough, you'd want to see which vehicles have circled around and you know, you'd know from there if they're going to be shopping or not. There are guys right now selling cars that they were, they were never around during that era because uh, you know, it was all, it's all been online for the last 10 years or 15 years. So I think those things will come into place going forward. And I already know dealerships that are um, doing their negotiation. It's funny. This happened last week at a store that I was at. They're using a platform. And uh, the customer gets to negotiate on their cell phone. And everything, the whole worksheet that you go back and forth and you sign, they're sitting there. They're sharing a link. And they just tell the customer, update your uh, link. And they update it. And it's a new offer there. Or if customer had new questions, the dealership, uh, uh, the sales manager gets a notification because customer has a new desire. They're, they want more money for their trade or they want the payments to be this much. It's all done over the phone. And once it's all done, the same link they can sign through their cell phone. So they don't even need to grab a pen to go sign documents. So I don't know what exactly is going to be the new process, but I think there will be new um, uh, platforms, new services, new ways of being able to buy a vehicle, even when you go at a dealership physically to feel it, touch it, and smell it, that new car smell. Um, I, uh, and you know, the other thing that comes to my mind, um, and this happened uh, 10, 12 years ago with online shopping, and that was drop shipping. When drop shipping was introduced, uh, it changed the whole ball game. All these massive warehouses that you know they would have, um, I don't know, if you were selling laptop batteries, you've had hundreds of thousands of uh, inventory, which is a lot of money, and you would have it in it with just a simple warehouse so you could ship it, and you'd have a shipping department. Now all that is gone. Now drop shipping is the only way to do it. I think something very similar is going to take shape in the auto industry. Um, out here, uh, well, in Canada uh, and the States, Odessa is a pretty big source for dealerships to um, supply their vehicles and move their vehicles around. It's an auction. Um, sites and uh, they have uh, massive facilities and uh, they are running programs for the dealerships that if you are regularly running cars and buying cars they will allocate 50 to 100 spots to your dealership so you can leave your cars there and with the way uh, our sales team on the front lines are selling cars right now it's more so getting the customer what they want, how they want it. The customer may say, hey, I'm looking for a short-term loan and I, don't, I want an SUV and I want to spend about $300 max. And, you know, we say, well, taxes, that are, okay, your budget is $500. That's what you can get. They don't really care if it's exactly the specific vehicle. They're open to different options as long as it needs, as a whole, is a complete package for them. And what do the salespeople do? They go select a few options. They send off emails, pictures, walk around videos. 
and customers say, hey, I like this one. And now more so than ever, they rather the vehicle to be dropped off at their house, leave it there for 48 hours. If they like it, they like it. If they don't like it, leadership will come back and pick it up. I have seen lots of this. And um, sometimes, like Jason said, um, this is not so much how we want to do business because we lose control. However, this is what our customers want. And I think that's where it's going to go. Well, and I, I think we have to learn and figure out how to do it quickly, right? Um, yes. You know, I, like I said, I was saying earlier, you know, I do enjoy going into the dealership, right? I, I bought my Nissan Armada uh, this last summer, okay? Uh, the dealership is about four and a half hours away from me. And, um, you know, I went there one time, you know, to check out the few used ones that they had. Um, I picked out one. I asked him if I could do an extended test drive, you know, because this was a pretty big vehicle, much bigger vehicle than my family was used to driving, you know. So I was like, I, they're like, yeah, sure, absolutely. I did that. And then the rest of the actual negotiating the transaction, the F&I process, we did remotely, you know, and then the vehicle was delivered to me. So it was a hybrid. I, I still wanted to go to the dealership because I still wanted to shake the hands. I still wanted to meet the person. I wanted to put, you know, face to face. And, but then I was totally comfortable doing the girth of the transaction, you know, remotely. And I find right now we're actually forced to have to do, all right, 70, 80, 90%, if not only a hundred, almost a hundred percent of the entire transaction, depending on the province or state that you live in. All right. Um, a hundred percent of it, you know, from a distance, which I think fundamentally changes the way, um, staff and the dealerships have to learn how to communicate, you know, I mean, for in the past, we've trained for years about how to communicate with someone face to face. And then we spend a little bit of time about how to communicate on the phone. And then we almost spend no time training on how to actually communicate with the internet lead. I mean, Fareed, I'm sure you remember before internet leads, you got the fax machine leads. Remember those? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes, I do. Faxing in credit applications. Oh my God. Right? Fax. We did everything. We did everything through fax. In the world at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not necessarily like a new concept. It's just the tech is changing and the customers always kind of wanted to have this ability to decide how much of the transaction they do inside the dealership versus how much they do it at their at on their own place and i think that will fundamentally change the way that we hire people and the people we employ and Fareed, i'd actually like to get your kind of your thoughts on this sure. is you know how does my you know who as far as like building out my new team, all right, you know, I don't think it's enough that we're just hiring warm bodies because I think when we come back to our new norm, warm bodies is not acceptable. You know, how do, how do we start building this new team and what are we looking for in an employee now? Well, I think if, if, if uh, dealers thought about that very question, and I don't think enough do, unfortunately, but this, this, um, this unfortunate circumstance called the coronavirus really should be seized upon by dealers to do a thorough analysis of their need, of what they should have in their staff. They should use this time, and hopefully some of them are, analyzing who they've got, who are they going to definitely bring back, and who should they need. There's never been a better time for a dealer to use a, a, a blank sheet process and say, what is my dealership going to look like in the future? 
And Cam was alluding a bit to that about all this technology that's being introduced. Well, if you ever want to see dealerships move on a month-to-month basis, that's as far as they see is the, the end of the month. This is the one time in maybe their lifetime they're really going to be able to really reassess staffing needs, advertising needs, technology needs, um, so I hope a lot of them take this opportunity. It's not too late, and I really hope so. Um, Fareed, I'm, I'm curious, you know, because um, you guys evaluate and run numbers on so many dealerships out there. Yeah, over 900. Um, okay, yeah, uh, just a few. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, from a labor perspective, is labor is one of the biggest expenses for a dealership, is it not? True, True. very much so. You know, one of the things when we're looking at uh, evaluating a business we're looking at the evaluation of the business for two purposes. One, what can the person that owns the current asset walk away with? And number two, where are the cost savings for the newer person that acquires it? Because everybody's trying to look at the upside of, a, of an opportunity. And one of the first things we come to is tell us about your key employees. Why do you have so many people in so yes, it's very, very true, Jason. Very good point. Do do you see? I don't. Let's call it fat. <laughs> I mean, are dealerships pretty, you know, girthy when it comes uh, to to labor and employees? Yeah. Is, is there just too much of it? Well, what we call it in our industry is we go profit hunting. When we evaluate a business, we say where is the hidden profit in your business, and that normally cir- circles around such things as. Um, door rates, um, uh, do you have enough, as Cam was saying, enough salespeople for the ratio of the cars you want to sell and plan to sell? Is your F&I where it should be? So um, a lot of that circles around that issue. You see, you're very right again, Jason. The doing more with less kind of concept that we were just talking about, I mean, how is that going to affect the way that we value evaluate a dealership as far as putting a dollar on it hmm. you know we've been discussing this as a team we, we we constantly get together and review this i think the changes in our evaluation when it when it comes to doing more with less is going to be what are the minimums what can you get away with you know one thing a dealer is very good at doing is they're very good at hiring people and, and especially during times of good when times are bad, they have a very hard time getting rid of people when they really should have done that a long time ago. So our, our process is uh, all ratio-based. How many technicians do you need per service adv- advisor? How many bays do you have? How many hours can you sell in those bays? So it's all ratios, um, and we take the emotion out of it. And it's easy for me to say that. I don't employ 100, 100 people in their families but in the future of evaluations for us, it's all going to be about minimalistic value and expenses in a business. And I think the dealerships that have done that are the ones that are doing okay and they're going to get by right now. And the ones that Correct. didn't practice that are, are, tr- are truly struggling. Um, okay, guys, that's a good segue kind of kind of into my, my next topic here. And, and Cam, this is more for, I'm going to start off with you on this is from a messaging perspective, okay? Um, The messages that we share with our employees, the messages that we share with our customers, 
I'm finding kind of dealerships at kind of a standstill when they're figuring out like what message should they be sharing right now? And, you know, what messages should they be preparing to share? You know, Kim, do you have any thoughts and thoughts on that? For absolutely. I think one of the biggest things uh, when you work in a, at a dealership, when you're running a dealership, is to give your team and employees a clear message as far as where you stand. Um, I think with this scenario that we're having right now, no one really knows the clear answer. However, the fact that um, to make it clear that, hey, we acknowledge this is what's happening. We know that we had to get rid of certain um, positions. Uh, we used to have these many finance managers on duty. Now we have half. Now we have, we used to have four, now we have one. So I think it's very important to have a clear message as far as, hey, we don't have four, we have one, but we are going to do save a deal every morning instead of doing it every Tuesdays and every Fridays. We're going to do it daily to ensure that your deals are being looked after and nothing is going to fall, uh, fall off the crack. It's it, to ensure them that yes, we are running with fewer employees, but the job is getting done. If you have a uh, customer who's looking to buy a car, every step will get done. I had the first week, I had stores that they were selling cars, but they wouldn't detail because they didn't have any detailers to detail the cars. And the salesperson will say, well, it's not my job to go and wash the car. I mean, they will go ahead and do it just because that's what salespeople do. They get it done. They want to get that commission. But I think it's those things that it's it's important to have a clear message that hey, this is our plan. This is what we're doing for the certain for the next two weeks, for the next ten days. And I think the clear message as far as where the dealership stands as a team is very important for the core confidence of the team and their demeanor. I'm with you on that. I totally agree. I think, you know, it, it's key that we're consistent in our communication efforts. And we, you know, I, I think what it is is customers um, and and staff, you know, need to know kind of where we stand before we bring any more information to them. And I think as an industry that we're, we're not doing a super great job of that right now. You know, you know what I mean? No, in, in this industry, unfortunately, I think that's one of the things, especially for me when I go to different stores as, as, a, as, an, as a third person, as an outside person, it's very easy for me to see that uh, we're not great at communicating. Like, um, for example, as part of the, on the sales floor, again, I talked to sales so much because that's, that's what I do. Um, I see so many times the sales manager, the salesperson comes to a sales manager when they're desking a deal and the sales manager gets frustrated, says, ah, oh, just leave it with me. I'll go talk to the customer. And that is the true definition of lack of communication where that salesperson simply doesn't know because they've never been trained. They've never been shown how to do it. And that salesperson will never improve in that specific category, whether it's explaining why the value of the trade is so low or explaining to them why their monthly payment, it just doesn't make sense. It can't be $500 a month when they're buying an $80,000 vehicle. It's just that uh, it comes down to communication. So I think it's important to communicate the right message to your staff because they are the people that will be talking to your customers. And if they don't have a clear understanding of where the store stands, they can't pass on that message to your customers. And I think that's really uh, important. If you uh, explain to your customer, hey, this is how we're going to practice social distancing when it comes to buying a vehicle that with confidence, then the customers feel more confident that, hey, this is where I want to do business because they have processes in place uh, to make me and my family comfortable as far as coming into the store and looking at a vehicle and test driving and buying. 
So I think a clear message is a very important uh, subject and topic to talk and also share within the store's uh, culture. No, I'm with you, Cam. I think we, we need to lead with the process first before someone even wants to hear what we have Absolutely. to offer. Um, hey, Fareed, um, I've been speaking to a lot of dealerships, you know, lately, a lot of dealer principals, and I have a fair amount of them that, you know, the idea of selling their dealership is becoming not, not such a small idea, but now more of a bigger idea. You know, there's, you know, they've gone through now a couple of these ups and downs and the stresses building. And I'm getting a lot of like, not everyone, but I'm getting, a, you know, a handful of like, what the hell am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? Is there, is there something else I should be doing here? Right. You know, you know right. so for, for the dealerships out there that are, they're in that place, you know, mentally, right. And thinking about, you know, entertaining the idea of, you know, selling their dealership, maybe more so now than they have in the past, you know, what advice would you, would you give them right now? Um, I think the first bit of advice is somebody spoke to me today and said, you know, I'm really reevaluating whether or not I should be in business anymore. I want to keep my business. I'd say today uh, you shouldn't look at selling. Today is not a good time to think about selling your business. Um, but I would say in six months' time, it would be a very healthy conversation. Um, the, and dur during those six months, Fareed, yeah. you know, what, what should they be doing to prepare? Because I, I, I find that you know, sometimes people think that a sale, the idea of selling happens and it's just like, okay, I'm going to sell my dealership today. But it's not like that. There's actually a process yes, you know, that should actually be followed. You know, what would you recommend, you know, for someone who may be closer to that edge of saying, yes, I want to entertain it. You know, what are, what are the things I should be doing to prepare for the next six months? Well, I ask dealers a, a very simple question they can relate to. Is your dealership a clunker that really needs to go to the scrapyard or is yours a hidden gem? They're normally always say, well, my dealership's a hidden gem. Right, well, we're going to have to get into the workshop. We're going to have to take the wheels off. We're going to have to see what's broken. We're going to have to fix the basics. We're going to have to make our clients aware of some items that you're just not prepared to fix. You need to detail it. So if you, if you really uh, use the analogy of what would you do with a good quality used car that you're debating, should I keep or should I wholesale, um, that's how I think dealers should look at their business. Most dealers that have owned the business for many, many years, um, one of the things that we find when they actually decide to go down the path is they, they have not looked at their corporate documentation if they're up to date. If they had a shareholder on the corporation 11 years ago that passed. So we, we, we do ask them to start looking at their business from all different aspects. In fact, we have a list a checklist of what you should really investigate prior to going to the sales stage. Oh, that's cool. I love the checklist. If, if anybody that's listening and watching right now, can they reach out to you to uh, get that checklist from you and maybe just start getting Absolutely. Going? Can, I also, because business is so slow, I'm also a delivery guy for Pizza Pizza. So 967-1111 is where you can get a hold of. Uh, if not, my website at dsma.com. That's where you can always find it. DS, David, David, S for Sugar, <laughs> and for Mother, A for Apple, 
That's awesome. Hey, Cam, my, my next question for you is kind of on that similar, like on that same kind of direction, but more at the salesperson level. I don't know about you, man, but I, I've been having a fair amount of conversations with a fair amount of salespeople that are currently laid off right now that are sitting at home going, do I really want to go back and sell cars? You know, I tell you what I tell have them. Have had some of those I'll conversations? It sounds like you have. Oh, yeah. You know, you know what I tell them? And this goes the same thing to those dealers, principals, that they want to sell their business. I always tell them, car business ain't for everybody. <laughs> if it's not working out for you, man, That's it's the same for everybody. If it was You're so right, everybody. Cam. You're so right. If, if this was easy, everybody would everybody be doing, would doing it. it. And everyone would owe dealerships. And, um, you know, I mean, honestly, car business has been really good to me. And this is like literally having the license to print money. It just comes down to the perspective and how you see it and how you want to operate it. Um, I've, I've, I mean, I've, I've been, I'm lucky with the platform that I have. I see both sides of the mentalities. I've actually had dealerships and the guy says, man, I should have sold it six months ago when I had that offer. And I also have dealerships, uh, principals are telling me, Cam, if you know any stores trying to sell, I am buying. Let me know. I'm going to go in. I'm going to buy with their inventory, everything. I'm ready right now. I'm not going to wait till three months. I need that right now. So it really comes down to the message. And for the salespeople that you asked me, I tell them the same thing. I told uh, these sales guys, find a new way how you can connect with customers. If you're in sales, your uh, ability to turn a prospect into get them what they want. And in our industry is the car, obviously. If you can find a way to communicate that with them and you can um, reach out to them, you're a winner. You're a winner. That's really what it comes down to. And I've had salespeople that have all they have been selling is people that are in the front lines. I had a salesperson who targeted, and it's not the right way of saying it, but he targeted nurses. And that's all he's been selling. He's loving life. He says, man, I should have done this long ago. They've got stable jobs. The banks, they don't even need POI. They're going to basically get them approved right away. And they, as long as I can give them what they want, it's the easiest transaction ever. So it really comes down to the perspective that the, the, the business is out there. People still need to buy cars. And now five, six weeks into this, people are now just like, ah, I'm going to go back. Forget this. I'm going back. I'm going to get back on my feet. People need cars, man. It's, it's, just, the, it's just how it is. And uh, if, if you're not having fun, if you're not enjoying it, this business is not for you. And, uh, you know, we've had tough times in the past and this is just like that. And I don't even call it a tough time because any way you look at it, this is the best way to go. Now, more than ever, a salesperson can go and work for two different dealerships at the same time. I don't know if you guys have seen this. I have seen it. And um, they, because if you go to a dealership right now and say, hey, I want to sell cars because I've got customers for your product. What's the dealer principal going to say? They're going to say, go ahead, bring them in. When can you bring them in? So um, I have salespeople that they have become more mobile than before. And truth of the fact, and this is fact, their personal relationship has gotten better because they're spending more time at home with their family and loved ones. Wow. So they're... It's just and, oh, and man, this that, is the that, truth to, that totally that. makes sense. But you know, look, we, we've always kind of talked about this in the past, where it's like either you either you're solid at prospecting or you shouldn't be in this business. You know, but I do think there's a fair amount of percentage of salespeople out there that just relied on what was coming through the door and never took that time to create their own community and generate their own opportunities. And I think what it is is what's that? Uh, uh, the the cream will rise. Is, I yeah. think that's what we're going to see in salespeople here. Yes. I think I think 
I think at the end of this, when we come back into it, there's a lot of salespeople that won't be coming back to work. And then there's going to be a lot of people that are going to be coming back, you know, to your point, Cam, the buddy that's just like you had that was like already like it didn't take him any time at all to figure out a prospect strategy. It's like, oh, I know who I'm going to talk to. I know who I'm going to target. Right. Hey, guys, Uh, I'll give you one more. Sorry, I'll make it the last one. This is was the last one on strategy. Again, this is a true fact. Um, I'm always huge on uh, telling sales guys when a customer visits you at the store right after they leave before their vehicle pulls out of the driver, send them a text message and say, hey, thank you for making time to come see me. I'm I'm a huge fan of that. I'm a huge fan of thanking them or um, reminding them that they're important to you as a person. Call them on their birthday. If a simple phone call, hey, this is Cam, just call to wish you a happy birthday. Those things are important. I've had guys in the last two weeks, they have borrowed, they have insured a vehicle at the dealership so they could go to the customer and do their groceries for them. Wow. Don't want anything out of it. You're my customer. Thank you so much. Right now, business just is slow. I can't community. do much. But hey, I, I, I'm still coming to work. The work has given me a vehicle for this purpose. And if you need groceries, call me. I'm going to go pick it up, bring it, drop it off for free whenever you want. And so this guy, because of the reaction, he's in the happiest mindset ever. He's loving it because everyone's thanking him. People are tipping him. And it's just opened up a new door. And at the end of the day, he still sells cars. He still sells cars. I, I think that's absolutely awesome. And I think those are the opportunities, right? Like I said, I mean, there's there's a lot of neg- negative things going on right now, but we can look for the positive. We can look for the opportunities. And it's a huge opportunity now to connect as salespeople or as dealerships, you know, to connect with our community of customers and our staff. You know, it's I think that's a great way for it kind of to end end this, uh, this podcast. But before we go, I get to do my favorite part of the podcast and give you guys both an opportunity to tell the world what is pissing you off? Fareed, I'm going to start with you. What is pissing you off? I'm assuming you're talking direct, directly related to our industry. But I think at times like this, from my perspective for the economy, if there is one thing that concerns me, and I don't think there's much pisses me off, but concerns me is that banks may tighten up their lending quite severely, which is going to have a knock-on effect. And where I'm concerned is where the banks fall on this whole coronavirus directly related to the automotive industry. I'm not talking about lending money for financing or leasing a vehicle. Um, I'm talking about for a dealer that wants to sell their business for $10 million, is there a bank going to is there a bank that's going to be brave enough to back a buyer during these times? So I would say my concern is, what is the banks going to do after the coronavirus? That's that's a good point. I mean, we saw the same thing happen right after the recession too, where the yes, banks just kind of like just they they just concern. suck themselves into Correct. like like a turtle within their shell, and they're like, nope, 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 nope. And that has such a bad knock-on effect. It really it, does. It, it does. It's a domino effect that just yeah. it affects way more than just just the dealership as well. 100%. That's that, that's a good one for you. All right, Cam, you are up, sir. What is pissing you off? What's pissing me off is those dealer principals, sales managers, salespeople that are sitting at home and waiting to hear, let's come back to work, things are back to normal. That really pisses me off to the core. It's never going back to normal. If that's what you think, you're a fool. 
go get a job somewhere else. This, this isn't the job for you and get out of it. Leave, leave the space for some good people that want to get in the industry. I love it. Straightforward, direct. There you go. Come, come, come from a place. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys, yeah. for everyone out there that's watching and listening right now and would love to connect with you gentlemen and kind of follow along, learn more about what you do, what is the best way to do so? Fareed, I'll start with you. Again, my website, dsma.com. Or my cell phone, 416-844-5581. It's um, 24-7. It's surgically attached to my hip. My man, I love it. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Reed. All right, Cam, you're up. All right, if anybody wants to connect with you and follow along, what is the best way to do so? Instagram at Cam Aram, K-A-M-A-Y-R-O-M. 24-7. I'm just a phone call away. Let's go. Awesome. Hey, guys, thank you so much for your time today. This was a blast, and I'm glad we were able to connect and do this. Have a good one. Jason, as I said to you when I saw you in Las Vegas, buddy, keep up the great work. You really uh, inspire people. You keep people engaged. And as Cam says, it's all about information. So kudos right. to you, man, keeping the industry informed. Good Thanks, you, man. I appreciate it. Have a great one, guys. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye.